Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex and intimacy in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that telling the truth about sex leads to connection, joy, and freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. Caitlin and I are here today Hello. <laughs> with the lovely Nat, who we are so excited to introduce to you and spend some time chatting with today. Thank you, Nat, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. So Nat, I connected with over social media because she has such a powerful message. And I am so excited to hear her talk about more about her story and how that relates to the message that she is sharing with women who are married, who are not married, just women who are experiencing the need for change in their understanding of sex. So could you share a little bit with us about you, about what you do, about where you're at. Yeah. Okay. Well, it it all started on TikTok uh, about two (laughs) years ago. My ex-husband and I at the time were really, really struggling. And there was a lot of tension in the home. One of my kids had come to me and asked me to, quote, do something about dad. And Mm -hmm. I didn't understand fully what was happening in our home yet, but I knew something was wrong. So I asked him to go stay with a sister or somebody for a little bit and give me some time to think. A few days later, I sat down on the floor of my room and made a TikTok video anonymously Mm -hmm. just to say, this is what's happening. He's gone and I'm trying to figure stuff out. And maybe I'll make a few videos about it and nobody will probably ever see it, but it'll be there for somebody who needs to hear it. Famous last words. (laughs) I did not understand how the For You page works on TikTok. I was brand new to TikTok. And within a couple of weeks, I had over a half a million views on one particular video and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. It scared the hell out of me. I was a Christian at the time. And I, Mm -hmm. as a, as part of this process over the last two years of healing from what was going on in my marriage, uh, which we'll get to, I guess, Mm -hmm. I ended up leaving my faith as well in the Mm -hmm. process. I left my husband and the church at the same time. So now I talk about all of that on TikTok mostly, and also Instagram. I have a website and things have progressed and I'm doing a lot more with it, but uh, basically just trying to help other people see what I couldn't see for 20 years. Mm. Oh my gosh. The bravery that it took to sit on your floor and post something. Oh gosh. (laughs) I didn't see it as brave because again, I didn't think anyone would see it. It was, you know, on Instagram, it's different. When you post something to Instagram, you have to tell people that you have an Instagram account, right? Mm. It's not, it's really not going to be seen by a whole bunch of people unless you tell them. And I wasn't going to tell anybody. (laughs) I really thought it would be maybe a dozen people that would accidentally stumble Mm. upon it. So I didn't see it as brave at the time, but yeah, as (laughs) it got going and I started getting attacked from a lot of men, especially, yeah. it was terrifying. And I almost shut it down hundreds of times. Wow. Okay. So I want to hear about all of that, like <laughs> all of it. But I'd love to start a little bit with some context before we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be great for our audience to hear what led you to this moment. 
And so I'd love to roll all the way back and hear a little bit about your growing up years. Okay. What was the conversation about sex like in your home? What did you learn? What were the big takeaways for you about sex as you were growing up? Well, it's interesting. I said I was a Christian, but I was not raised that way. Mm -hmm. I was raised by very liberal Southern California family. My dad was very sexual. And I understood this at a young age because I accidentally stumbled upon some books on the bookshelf Mm. (laughs) that I should not have seen, but I understood that my parents were very sexual. And um, yeah, when they split, my dad had women in and out of the house. Mm. And um, so I had a very good picture of what sex was and how it worked and things that I probably shouldn't have seen on TV too when I was young because Mm -hmm. my parents were very open about things and didn't really care what I was seeing. So I I think I had a good, healthy understanding of sex, but I did hear whispers around me as I got to my teen years that sex is fun, but be real careful with who you do it with, where you do it, and be prepared for it to just happen to you at times because boys are just wild. Boys can't control themselves. They want you. They're going to just take you. So you need to make sure that you dress appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure your skirt isn't too short because, you know, sex is just a thing that boys can't control. And they, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) And where did those messages come from? Mostly, I would say a blend of adults in my life. I couldn't point specifically to parents or teachers, but Mm -hmm. adults and also kids at school, Hmm. probably messages on TV too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there would be something in the news about somebody being assaulted. And then what was she wearing? That whole Mm -hmm. thing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very, very subtle messages, even outside of the church. I hadn't even gotten to the church yet. Right. (laughs) We're still out there is that the underlying message, I think the base of all of it was that, Boys and men have a natural desire they can't control, mm-hmm. and it's up to the women around them to help them control that and to control themselves so that mm-hmm. those boys and men don't have their desire overtake them. Mm-hmm. Can I just interject for one second just to like, so we can just talk about this before moving on because it, it's so significant. Like, it's interesting as we do this podcast more, you know, I, I think we have ideas that it comes from, oh, just the church or just the TV shows or just whatever, but it really hits us from all different angles from our whole yes. life. And I just have to repeat this, what you said, be prepared for sex just to happen to you. Like, mm-hmm. wow. When you said that there was something inside of me that was like, oh, Cause yes, I felt like that too. And it, it became scary and it, it, it became very mixed emotions because you hear good, bad, scary, all the things, but like, it's just so much for us all to grow up hearing this often not having a lot of, you know, space to process this in a healthy way. And just the impact that this has on all of us collectively, receiving yeah. this messages, it just, it blows my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not having anyone to talk to because people just, it's, shh, we don't talk about sex. Right. right exactly. And so when you have questions, where do you go? You go to your friends because your friends will talk about sex. <laughs> right. And yes. they're all getting the same messages. So yeah. it doesn't help. Right. So you're hearing messages from friends and peers mm-hmm. who probably don't have a whole lot of experience with sex, but it's all, again, the things they're receiving. Mm-hmm. What I'm picking up on too is that it's not even like direct words said as much as it is like the sense of what you get in like how people infer about things. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that that's something to notice too, is like, it's not even just the words we use. It's how we are saying those words mm -hmm. to those around us. For sure. So. Yeah. I, my first concept of blue balls came before I'd ever heard the term. It was, mm -hmm. you know, heavy petting or making out. And then uh, you, you didn't do any more than that. You let it stop. Is he okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, right. How did you, that must have hurt him. Don't do that to a guy. Like where do those messages come from? Yeah. Right. Uh -oh. So were, were you having relationships in your high school years I did. or like what was that like for you it was a lot of people pleasing honestly mm. and with girls too in general I was sort of a people pleaser I wanted to be everybody's mm. friend I wanted everybody to like me with girls it was you had to be chatty Kathy and talk about the nail polish and the hair and that's how you got them to like you <laughs> with mm -hmm. boys it was sex it was kissing or hugging or touching of some kind. And the further mm -hmm. it got, the more he would like you. That was the idea. Mm -hmm. It wasn't true, but <laughs> that was the feeling. Yeah. So when did the church come into play? That was shortly after high school. I'd say I was probably 19 or 20 when uh, I bumped into a friend at the post office who was a Christian. She invited me to church and I was mm -hmm. sort of in my post high school hoe phase. I was at clubs all the time and having a good time and with a different guy every couple of weeks. And it was really fun, but I wasn't fulfilled and I was feeling sort of lost and aimless. And she was telling me all these wonderful things about how God loves you. And it was like this club that I could belong to where I would find all kinds of love and acceptance and as part of that I had to give up my old worldly sinful life and <laughs> I wasn't having a lot of fun with it I mean I was I was having fun but I wasn't fulfilled and so here was this bright shiny thing that was going to fulfill me hmm. I'm curious how that lands with you Caitlin with your history yeah it's funny because those were the years I grew up very much in it and those were the years that I kind of started coming out of the church for on my own journey oh. what I hear in the end is like love and acceptance you know we all want to experience connection and love and it's like what do we do it it's like well do we do it through sex with men because then that will bring us connection but then there's a church over here we like that connection but then they're telling us this sort of connection is bad and it's just it's so confusing <laughs> it's just it's it's all like we're just like trying to figure out how can we be good how can we be loved how can we feel safe and yeah. It's just the journey for women is so layered. It's so complicated. It's it and it's damaging. It's it's harmful to our sexuality long term. Definitely. So, Nat, when you decided to go for this new shiny thing that felt like maybe this is more more of a way for me to feel deeply nourished and connected and all these things, what motivated you to leave this quote-unquote life of sin <laughs> and oh. walk into this new different way of looking no. at things and how did your messages those messages about sex get affected in that change it was it really was just the feeling of feeling used honestly mm. i felt even though to some degree i was using them too at times it was pretty mutual but i felt empty all those experiences with all those men were just not fulfilling at all. And so mm. I was, had grown up being told that too, that it wouldn't be fulfilling. So mm. I was being rebellious in a way, going, chasing after that sort of high that I was getting from those men. And so here I was with this other message saying, you know, we can fulfill you. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm hearing my parents and what I grew up with saying that I wouldn't be fulfilled by this. And here's this on the other side. Here's how we can fulfill you. And I just felt like, you know, I really can't trust myself with anything right now. Mm-hmm. I've been making all the wrong decisions for the last few years. And I think I just need to let go and let God, as they say, right? Right. <laughs> and I did. I completely let myself go over the next few years as I became a Christian. And I saw what they modeled for sex in Song of mm-hmm. Solomon mm-hmm. Uh, was more of a marriage relationship. And so I right. got this romantic, dreamy idea that there was going to be a Mr. Right, a one and only Christian man who was going to satisfy my every need and be and fulfill me spiritually. And mm-hmm. that through marriage where is where I would find my connection ultimately. <laughs> and that is the prominent message, isn't it? <laughs> That's quite the message shift for you. Yes. What then happened? Is that where you met your ex-husband? I did. Within a year, I had met him. I was in California at the time still, and he was in Indiana. So I met him, and I moved to Indiana. Not to be with him at the time. It was just a move to get out of California, to Hmm. get away from those old friends, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To start a new life, born again as a Christian, right? Um, Mm -hmm. My dad lived here, and he was going to help me get started, and so it was perfect. And then within mm-hmm. probably three or four more months is when I got married. Wow. We met right away and got married very quickly. It was uh, September when I moved to Indiana and April we were married. Mm. <laughs> I saw hearts in my eyes with this wonderful Catholic man who I thought was perfect. And mm-hmm. <laughs> What was that dating relationship like? What was it like falling for him with this new perspective of... A context of religion. Yeah, I have dis- dissected this a lot the last couple of years because I've I've had men attacking me for two years, telling me you never really mm-hmm. loved him and all this. And I'm like, did I? Did I not? I don't know. And I just made mm. a video the other day. I had sort of an epiphany from a new guy who is really great about letting me talk through all these things. And he asked me mm. some questions that got me thinking. And I so I made this video. Uh, in which I am now pondering if I did really love him or if I loved this Mm -hmm. idea of him that the church told me he was. Mm -hmm. That the church told me, this is the kind of man you want to look for. And he had those qualities. And so I ignored my feelings because again, I didn't trust myself and I needed to Mm -hmm. lean on the church to tell me what I believed and what I was looking for in a husband. Wow. That's profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does it feel to reckon with that? It makes me sick to my stomach mm-hmm. that I've wasted so many years on something that I believed I felt and I don't yeah. think I did now. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's incredibly common. Mm-hmm. This getting married for an image of what marriage is supposed to be rather than marrying a human being. (laughs) Well, the crazy thing is just the other day, I had a flash of a memory of me at coffee with a friend telling her that I felt like it was an arranged marriage. Oh, wow. Was this after you were married? Yes. That you said that? Oh, wow. Can you elaborate on that? I was still, I was still in a dreamy, loving phase. I wasn't resentful of him yet. This was still very new, but it was just like, you know, I just feel like God has arranged this marriage for us. And like, but Mm -hmm. there had to have been some awareness of my feelings, not matching what was happening Mm -hmm. that 
I yeah. must have been detached from that somehow for me to say that, to say it felt like an arranged mm-hmm. marriage. Like God being my father right. has arranged for this man to marry me. And right. I want to do good by my father and marry him and give mm-hmm. him my best, even though, and the hidden subtext there is, even though I didn't really feel like I love him. Mm. Wow. It's just, it's making my wheels turn because I have heard this language so much, you know, and there is a, cause I still am within the context of the Christian church. And so I hear a lot of this all the time of just, you know, if he is a sovereign God, then he's arranging all things, then like marriage would be like an arranged sort of thing. But you're so right that it is detached language. Yeah. It is taking your intuition and your own sense of self out of that equation. Oh, yeah. Lean not on your own understanding ingrained in my brain. Right, 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 right. Yes. So many things that can be taken wildly with a damaging context. So I think this is so fascinating that you even use that language early on once you were married, even. Yeah. I didn't let myself think of my own feelings really at all. I didn't. Mm. I kind of just pushed them away. It sounds like that was a pattern even leading into the marriage. Yeah. It was a pattern within life, honestly, because even as a kid, I was routinely told that my thoughts and feelings were not valid. And where'd you hear that from? It was, again, the same with the sex messages. It was very subtle. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd have a thought or complaint about something and yeah, just rolling of the eyes or uh, telling me I talk too much or I'm overthinking, you know, Mm -hmm. just all kinds of comments throughout my life that whatever it was that I was going through, nobody wanted to hear it. Mm. Hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think you're the only woman, <laughs> that woman that's received no. those messages. I think yeah. those messages that our intuition is wrong, that our thoughts are less valid, oh, oh, it breaks my heart because it's they're so rampant for women. I think our whole lives, it's it's the culture we grew up in. Like it's almost like not a conscious brain thing. It's, it's more just like this subtle understanding of these little ways we learn to be from, yeah, the messages of the people around us our whole lives. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's sad, but I think what you're experiencing is, is extremely normal. I've learned that now, but not till I'm 45. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It takes some dramatic, like seeing the world differently Mm -hmm. to, allow those things to sink in. But now like all three of us can't unsee it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So can you share with us a bit about what marriage felt like and really as much as you're comfortable sharing what sex felt like in that context? Well, uh, we did have sex before we got married. That's a big question people ask. Um, and it was awesome. I still loved sex mm-hmm. from my promiscuous days <laughs> and I was pretty sure I was going to end up marrying him by then. So I was like, let's just mm-hmm. do it. Why wait till we get married? <laughs> it was mm-hmm. fun. Right. <laughs> um, but it was after we got married that things changed. Mm-hmm. The, it started the wedding night. I talk about this. Uh, mm-hmm. he, I was exhausted from meeting all of his hundreds of people in his family. And I had maybe a dozen who'd come in from California. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. I was just introvert too. I was just worn out. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, can I just take a bath alone for a few minutes? And he, because he was trying to get in the bath with me. And I was like, Hey, could I just Mm -hmm. have a few minutes 
just to mm-hmm. get clean and yeah and he blew up he was mad and so mm. my first sexual experience with my new husband was coerced technically I was not into it I didn't want to do it but it was my wedding night yeah I had to right there's always pressure you know not always all too often pressure for wives especially to you know just make their husband happy or satisfied but on the wedding night of course it's like not even probably absolutely optional for I knew (laughs) yeah I knew (laughs) I would never live it down Gosh, but the entitlement yeah. um, that just comes from that blowing up, that reaction, it's just, yeah, but that's that's what he's been taught is that, oh, if he's a good Christian man and he follows this yeah. route, then that's what his reward is that's waiting for him yeah. in marriage. So, mm-hmm. Well, and keep in mind, too, we were still fairly new. We didn't know each other very well. And this was the first time that he had displayed any sort of anger or frustration Mm -hmm. toward me. Did you ever experience turning him down, quote unquote, before you were married? No. There were times when it was just getting late and we'd be like, oh, I'm going to go home. I'll see you later. But it wasn't a, we have an opportunity to do it. And I'm saying no. Mm. You know, if we declined, it was sort of an understood, it wasn't going to happen. But after we were married, we lived together, and you really can't go anywhere. <laughs> You're stuck yeah. in bed together. Uh, right. There's no excuse, as they say. Mm. And so did that night, did that wedding night set a bit of a precedent for, for sure. future experiences? Yeah, for sure. It was it was sort of frightening that first time he was upset with me because mm. it, I felt like this wasn't my husband now. This was my father yelling at me you know like he's Mm. grumpy and I feel like I've done something wrong and I'm feeling shamed and so from then on I could pick up any sort of micro expressions from him if I was if Mm. I even looked like I might turn him down Mm. he would get mm, you know a look or a Mm. sigh or a grunt and I knew I had needed to do it and then by that point you know it didn't take long for that to make it just totally undesirable I never wanted to do it Mm. Microaggressions. I think this is something, again, that's not talked about enough. Um, You know, many men might think, I've never forced my wife. You know, I haven't done anything. That's Mm -hmm. not me. But is there almost a punishment in the form of microaggressions? If they're doing that, I think that is, Mm -hmm. I know, because I've talked to so many girlfriends, unfortunately, that have well, it's been a few days and I don't want him to be angry or grumpy or yeah, whatever it is. So I have to, like, that's a story I hear all the time, unfortunately, for women. Yeah. So, And we talk about it every day. Um, and men will come right out and say, well, I never hit you. Mm. Why are you so upset? And this is what mm. I talk about too. One of the oh. responses that I had as the years went on, it was about 15 years in, I was flinching when he came near me. And he had never raised a hand to me. He had never slammed a door even, really. I mean, he kind of would shut a drawer hard sometimes, but he really was Mm -hmm. not physically violent in any way. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. randomly flinching when he would come close and I'd 
I'm so sorry. I don't have to apologize for it because it hurts his feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he's mad because I'm flinching and I have no idea why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what yes. it is. It's all those little microaggressions build up over time. And I've had to now learn about the nervous system and how there's this mm-hmm. whole internal thing happening that mm-hmm. is wired yes. to our brains and we have no control over it at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are so good at protecting us mm-hmm. that we don't even know that's what's going on. Yeah. I I loved your video about the flinching. Like yeah. I loved that so much. And I'm excited for you to explain like the other piece of that puzzle and how that's how you're healing through that. Oh, okay. Um, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. I still want to hang in this mm-hmm. this like painful season for a little bit to like really help our audience hear yeah. what you experienced. So you say that he never hit you. Mm-hmm. He, there was there was a lack of outward painful physical aggression. Yeah. But what was it that was going on that made your child say, we got to do something about dad? Well, eventually it became apparent that it was happening with the kids too in a different way. So mm-hmm. it was with me over the years. It was he would go to touch me and I'd pull away and he'd get mad. Uh, if he wanted sex and I said, Oh, I'm tired. Oh, you're tired again. You know? So he would have mm-hmm. all of these reactions to my quote excuses. And so mm-hmm. this was, mm-hmm. this was tension in the home all the time. And I think the kids were mm-hmm. picking up on this anyway, their n- little nervous systems were picking up on it mm-hmm. and everything was fine when the kids were tiny and cute and playful and daddy, daddy. But when they started mm-hmm. to become preteens and teenagers and started getting a little snarky and sarcastic and (laughs) minds of their own. And they didn't want dad to hug them right now. I don't want Mm -hmm. that right now. And no, I'm not going to take your dishes to the kitchen, dad. You can get up and get your own dishes to the kitchen. They didn't actually say it, but they would look to me and be like, do I need to pick up after dad? (laughs) So I would end up doing it myself. They were also talking to each other a lot. The three kids as things became unsafe for them emotionally in the home, I didn't know this Mm -hmm. until later. They were talking to each other about these things. They were on TikTok too. They were on social media and learning from the outside world, outside of Christianity, they were learning about boundaries and respect and all of the things that I now understand, but didn't at the time. And Mm -hmm. they were talking to each other and pulling away from me and my husband both. And I remember vividly one incident in the kitchen when he went to go touch the back of my youngest and she flinched away just like I would. And Mm. he turned to me and yelled at me and said, you're teaching her that. (laughs) And I believed him. I apologized. And then I prayed. God, please let me stop teaching my kids these things. I don't remember ever telling them anything like this, but somehow they're picking it up from me and I'm being disrespectful to my husband and I need to be a better wife. Mm -hmm. And then I launched into the next couple of years of defending him to the kids and saying, your dad loves you. You just need to give him hugs once in a while. And that was ultimately abusive to the kids on my part, forcing them you know, in that way. And I, I've reconciled with them and with my, through my own therapy, I've forgiven myself, but that started down that cycle. And that's when it was getting bad was my oldest was, uh, it was their 18th birthday. So this was the first time they felt safe to come to me and talk to me about this. And, um, 
I said, we got to do something before this affects the younger ones. Mm. I was doing good till we were talking about the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if I can offer anything, I come from a household that's very similar to this. My parents are now divorced and I am so grateful for those days. And I, yeah. I asked my mom to leave for years and it's a hard, but in, mm-hmm. in the end, it's just so like, we none of us knew any better. Like, I, I can't even harbor any anger at my mom or dad for things that, because we all are just always doing the best with what we know to do at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your kids, yeah. just like I understand for my mom, uh, that that was, that's the truth. You know, you, I'm sure you can get yeah. stuck in the story. Why didn't she do more to leave? Cause I did when I was younger, why wouldn't yeah. she just leave? But you know, everyone I think is always doing the best that they can at the time. Or oh yeah, and they're great now. They'll they'll yeah. randomly just tell me, "Hey, remember when you were crazy, mom?" <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, remember when you used to do this, that, and the other thing? And I'm so glad you're normal now. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. oh. That's good to hear. Oh. I can't get this phrase out of my head that you said the way that you talked to your kids and said, you know, Oh, your dad loves you. It's, you know, you should give him a hug once in a while. Like I can't help, but equate that to, Oh, your husband loves you. You should just give him some sex once in a while. I was projecting for sure. The church put the message on me and I put it out to my kids. It was the same thing. Men need, Mm -hmm. men need, men need, and you have to do it because you're not a man. (laughs) Right. Right. How did you reconcile the fact or like make sense of it in your mind that you did enjoy sex before you were married? Yeah. But then there's this message that it's for men. So like, what did you do with that desire and that sense that you did enjoy that in some way? I believed I was wrong to enjoy it. That mm. I was not a Christian yet. That was a worldly thing that, you know, that's for feminists. Put that away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good I mean, sex is for feminists. Oh my gosh. That belongs on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Sex is for feminists. And, but yeah, it, that was a worldly thing. I needed to give that up. And it wasn't to say that, I mean, there are camps within Christianity that do believe in healthy sex between a husband and wife and that she should be pleasured as well. But the general idea was that that's a luxury for a woman, that he really needs it. And he'll be sick with possibly prostate cancer if he doesn't. But she, you know, it's just for pleasure. So she could let it go once in a while. Mm -hmm. Wow. Even when you were dating your Mm ex-husband, did it still feel like this was still a wrong thing? And I'm enjoying it because it's wrong. But like, you know, (laughs) I think it was just I wasn't quite ready to let go of that old life yet. And I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. when I'm married, then I'll be a good Christian. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Got it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt and you know, that made it kind of to where I felt like I had a lot to make up for as a Christian. Like even though we're not supposed to really have to earn our way to heaven or anything, I did sort of feel like I needed to quote repent and make mm. up for some of my past sin. And that, there was a part of me thinking that the more sex I have with my husband, the more it's making up for all the sex I shouldn't have been having. Mm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> there is so much in that statement right there. <laughs> and like, again, it tracks. Yeah. It tracks. The the guilt then to the penance, like, it yeah. tracks. Like, somehow I'm going to find redemption in all of these orgasms I'm not having. Mm. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> 
you know, Nat, I relate a lot to your experiences with guilt because my husband and I did not have straight up PIV sex (laughs) before we were married, but I experienced a lot of sexual pleasure before we were married. And any sort of pleasure that I experienced, I felt so guilty for. Mm. And, And I felt like this is going to wreck my marriage, all this pleasure that I'm feeling. So I was like ready to have a marriage that was hard and sex that was difficult because I had all this pleasure that I wasn't supposed to have in the wrong context. And so I relate so much to this. It's like we're ready for sex to be bad because it's been good in the wrong context. Yes. Guilt about feeling pleasure. Yeah. Like bad sex is holy sex. (laughs) I'll put that on a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Mm. (laughs) These statements that they're not true in their biggest sense, but they are truths that we hold and that affect our choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kept you where you were for, what did you say, 15, 20 years? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I had my 20th anniversary on TikTok with him living elsewhere. Mm. Wow. Okay. I want to hear a little more about this turning point Mm -hmm. and what it was like to extract yourself and what happened in that whole process. Okay. It was just asking him to leave. And I think the thing about him is that he's uh, always very aware of what people think of him and he wanted to do the right thing in this situation. And I think he knew things were bad and he didn't want to fight me on it. And he has five sisters. He could have gone to any one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and three brothers. So nine kids in the family. He had places wow. to go. I did not. And so he, mm-hmm. he did, he left. And when I started TikTok, I, it was really just sort of video diary. You know, I was just getting some stuff off my chest, but as mm-hmm. I started getting all those comments rolling in from people who were telling me half of them were like, Oh my God, my husband's like that too. And it was like nonchalant. Mm. Like that's just marriage, honey. We're all like that. And then the other half of the comments were like, Oh honey, you know, there was concern. Like some, this is not right. And then at some point in part of the discussion, I hadn't really fully discussed the sex part yet, but once I did, somebody said that's sexual coercion. And that flipped something for me. I had heard of it, but I didn't fully understand it. So when I Googled it, I went down a rabbit hole (laughs) and never came out. Wow. Mm. Okay. Again, I need to stop here for one second. To be, how old were you about this time? You said about 40? Uh, It would have been 43. Okay, 43. Mm -hmm. And not even be familiar. And I, this is not to make you feel bad. I think that's, common and normal with this concept of sexual coercion and and especially in the context of marriage like that that's not even a thing that's not even a thing people are aware of it's definitely not in marriage my awareness of sexual coercion at that time was a 19 year old girl getting picked up at a bar on college and she gets this guy she's likes him she goes on a date with him and he talks her into having sex that she doesn't want yeah that was sexual coercion right Right. So in my mind, this was only young people who were dating and it, not the same thing. Because once you're married, you're supposed to do it. <laughs> right. Right. I think this is such a big part of just the conversation around sexuality that needs to be changed in marriage and long-term relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's still almost the norm. 
I just heard something the other day and they, there was a couple talking about that they agreed to never turn down the other person. And they were saying that is such a like positive thing because they love the other person Uh so much. And this was just on mainstream TV or I forget where I saw it now, but like media somewhere. And it wasn't like a flinching. It was just, that was just a conversation. Like, yeah, this is our agreement. Cool. Move on. Like that's still the narrative. I think in our mainstream culture that that's acceptable and okay and normal. Now, my question for that couple would be, why do you have to make that agreement in the first place? What's going on in your relationship that sex isn't just flowing naturally for you? Mm. Why do you need that agreement? Something's already wrong. Right. Yes. And that's just going to make it worse. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Nat, can you take a minute and share kind of your definition of sexual coercion? I have a very broad definition for myself for sexual coercion, and I don't care if anybody agrees with me. This is just the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything that you say or do to make someone feel bad for not having sex with you or to try to get them to do it after they've made it clear they're not interested. Mm. So anything, anything, any word, any huff or puff or shoulders, you know, any sort of manipulation. It can be anger. It can be sadness. Anything you're doing that's retaliatory or trying to convince somebody. So it's very broad because it looks different for every man who does it. And every relationship dynamic is different. There's different forms of leverage in each relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that definition. Mm -hmm. And I think it is important to be broad because I think it does look different for so many different people. Mm -hmm. Question for you. what? would you say is the difference between someone, I'm not going to say a man, I'm going to say (laughs) someone in a relationship feeling disappointed versus feeling retaliatory or feeling like. Difference between coercive and just bummed. Right. But the expression of it, like when you say like that a huff or a, you know, whatever, like what, how do we tell the difference? This is the thing. We can't define this generally. Mm -hmm. I can't say this is what it looks like. I can only say to a woman, if you're feeling it, you are valid. Mm -hmm. Or a husband, if it's a wife doing it. Sorry. I speak in these heterosexual man-woman relationships. But because it is usually a man. But yeah, to to, even to the men, if she's saying and doing things that are shaming you and making you feel bad, you're going to feel that no matter what it looks Mm -hmm. like to the outside world, it can be a dog whistle and no one else Mm -hmm. can see it but you know it and you feel it and he knows it. She knows it. The person doing it knows it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say though, that because these messages are so pervasive, it's all over all of us. There are people, there's a small percentage that really don't know they're doing it, but those people are good people. And when it's brought to them or attention, they're going to be shocked and whoa, I don't want to do this to my spouse. And they back up right. and they get therapy and they get help. Mm. Yes. And that is always exciting to see when that happens. (laughs) I think that's huge. I think it's so important to make that statement that regardless of what the intention of it is, if the other partner is feeling that sense of guilt or fear around Mm -hmm. the conversation, those feelings are valid regardless of the intention. And you will discover the intention once you approach the conversation. And I will even tell the men that I talk to, your feelings of rejection are valid. Mm -hmm. However, 
it's not wrong for your wife to reject you. This is the message that gets messed up is telling women that they're wrong to reject their spouse because rejection, there's a reason for it. There's a reason. And sometimes it's not rejection. You're just tired. You're not feeling good. But if he has given you a hard time because you were tired last night and you remember that tonight Mm -hmm. and you reject him, that's valid because you remember what he did last night and you're still feeling that. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea though, that anytime you're rejecting your husband, it's bad and wrong and we should not do it. But we need to Mm -hmm. open that up to people to say, you know, maybe you have to be the kind of person she wants to sleep with. So the Mm -hmm. default is that you're not having sex ever until you are the person that she's aroused by. Right now, the default is we're going to have sex because we're married. And so, and I tell those men, do you want your wife to have sex with you because she's married to you Mm, or because she's just burning with desire because you have been such an incredible man to her? (laughs) A woman's going to enter that moment very differently based on that difference. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said, it looks different for everybody. And so every woman is aroused differently. Every woman is turned on by something different. Every man has different qualities that turn her on. That relationship Mm -hmm. dynamic is so unique that we can't talk about this as apples, oranges. This is exactly what it is. It's Mm -hmm. just different for everybody. And the, the most important point is whoever it is that's feeling like they're being coerced needs to be heard. And needs to be able to have that conversation to say, you're doing this and it's hurting me and I need you to stop. Mm-hmm. And not have more repercussions come from that discussion. Yes. That's why people don't have those discussions. You know, it's not a yeah. safe place to even have that open communication. Mm-hmm. So it's and just- that's why you're not having sex because you're not, you don't have that kind of relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I think, That's important for our listeners to note is that if this conversation is bringing up any of those feelings of I'm scared to have that conversation, then that's something to press into, correct? Yes. If you're scared to have any conversation with your spouse, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not about sex, you shouldn't be scared Mm -hmm. to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So good. As you were leaving this marriage... What were some of the tools and resources that helped support you? Because it sounds like all of a sudden you realized you weren't alone in your feelings. You weren't crazy. Like the fog lifted. What were some of the things that helped you? So in addition to Google, I had a bunch of people in my comments giving me feedback and advice Mm -hmm. and lots of toxic advice too. (laughs) Everyone thought my ex was a narcissist. (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) And I was like, no, that's not it. Simmer down. But uh, mm-hmm. I went to the comments. I, I would look up um, the things they would tell me to look up. I would Google. And I came across Sheila Gregoire's The Great Sex Rescue. And being mm. a Christian still at the time, that was incredible to me to hear a Christian mm. saying that obligation sex is bad mm. and harmful. Right. And it's hurting your marriage. It's hurting your sex life. That And telling other Christians that you can get help for this. You can make this stop. So of course, Mm -hmm. silly me, I went to my husband and was like, Hey, look, I found it. The solution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was so full of hope. I was so naive, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, he shot me down and filed for divorce, but it got my eyes Mm -hmm. opening to this in general obligation sex outside of coercion. It opened Mm -hmm. up my mind to the fact that kind of all of society 
is coercing women on a regular basis. TV, media, yeah. radio shows, podcasts are coercing mm -hmm. women on a daily basis. I have a couple of playlists on, on TikTok called um, Toxic Messages and Outside Influences. Mm -hmm. where this comes up. So we talk about influence. Oh, in Christianity, we'll talk about influence from the church. So we have mm -hmm. the church coming at you from one direction. We've got some bro boys podcast, misogynistic podcast that he's listening to, and he sends it to his wife. Oh, listen to this guy talk. They, they know what they're saying. Um, and then you've got the, what they call pick me women, the Christians who are like, you have to give your husband sex every 72 hours or he'll die. <laughs> Right. We have those messages coming in. I think from every angle, somebody is making this woman have sex she doesn't want. And mm -hmm. so all of what I do is putting all of that aside, just exposing it and saying to this woman one at a time, hey, listen, you are valid and you are normal. And all these things that you're feeling is normal. Mm -hmm. All of the when you're flinching, when your husband comes near, that's normal. When you mm -hmm. cover your eyes, when you walk past Victoria's Secret because sex just triggers you so bad, you can't even look at lingerie, that's normal. It's, mm -hmm. it's not normal really, but you are responding normally to something mm -hmm. that's happening right. to you that is not normal. Right. Right. It's being coerced. It's the feeling of pressure that's not normal, not your trauma reaction to it. I love that so much. <laughs> it's the feeling of pressure that's... Sorry, can you repeat that again? <laughs> I want to make sure I get it really clear. It's the feeling of being pressured that's not normal, not your reaction to it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Because we feel bad. Why don't we want to look at that lingerie? I've been told that I should love wearing that lingerie. And yeah. I should, that should be... I'm feeling guilty for my reaction to the lingerie. Wow. Really mm -hmm. interesting way to put that. I haven't heard. Or Outlander. No, I'm sorry, Susie. I'm not going to watch Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yes. stomach it. Like, literally, I'm going to throw up. But <laughs> so many yeah, shows. always fast forwarding through sex scenes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So every little mm -hmm. sexual thing becomes a trigger at some point. And that's mm -hmm. feel, that makes you feel even more crazy because I'm not normal. Why am I feeling this way? Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. Why don't I see those sex scenes in that lingerie and be like, I want that. Yay. Mm -hmm. Let me go, you know, ravage my husband. Like that's what we think yeah. we should feel, which is just really wild when you put it into context of all of our huge mm -hmm. lives. Just like when you put it into context of your story, you were supposed to go through that relationship and experience all those things and then have those reactions. But that's literally mm -hmm. as women, what we tell ourselves we should be doing. It's really wild when yeah. you take a step back and look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and even just the discussion about libido in general, I made a video the other day about the libido is sort of like your weight. Like if somebody is telling you that, you, hey, you're overweight and you need to lose weight. Mm. How do you know personally within yourself that you're actually overweight? You have to compare to somebody, mm. right? Mm -hmm. There's some sort of scale for weight. Mm -hmm. And yes. The same for our libido. There's a scale mm -hmm. for libido. Right. How, what are we measuring it against? Mm -hmm. So one of the questions right. I ask, if you're not with a partner at all, do you still have a low libido? Mm -hmm. Or are right. we just comparing it to your partner? Because mm -hmm. they want sex more. So you have a low libido. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that message comes from everywhere, too. Uh, we get the messages about hormones. Oh, maybe it's your hormones. So the thing I tell everybody, too, is just 
you have to take that in, but think about what's happening in your, your own body and what you mm-hmm. learn about your own desire, learn about your own mm-hmm. libido, learn about what your body is doing and experiencing at any given time. Decide for yourself mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. overweight or have a low libido. Don't let someone right. else tell you, you need to lose weight and you need to have more sex. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we always assume that the person who wants sex less is the wrong one. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's also interesting considering the concept of spontaneous and responsive desire mm-hmm. that Emily Nagoski talks about in her book. <laughs> I just think about the context of your marriage that you experienced. If you're wired with responsive desire, like many women are, you have no positive context where that input is going to make any sense in your brain. Mm-hmm. And even if you had more of a spontaneous desire, you have no like good experiences to back up those feelings. Yeah. Well, and I've had both. So I, yeah. that, that whole thing really confused me because for me, it depends on who I'm with. And mm. it depends on the state of my mind and a lot of factors. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I can be spontaneous. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just feel it within mm-hmm. myself. And I'll just go take a break Mm -hmm. and take care of myself. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. sometimes it's spontaneous and sometimes it's responsive. It's for Mm -hmm. me, the biggest issue is if I don't, if I don't feel like it, am I free to not do it? Exactly. Yeah. All it comes down to. (laughs) And do I have a partner who's going to give me that freedom Mm -hmm. to develop that desire for myself, not for him? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Because they say this a lot. Well, you just get yourself in the mood. You can get yourself in the mood. And men tell me, why is it my job to get her in the mood? Mm. And I I tell them, well, if she's getting herself in the mood, why would she need to involve you in that? Mm. She could just take care of that. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And I think that making desire and arousal somebody's job either way Mm. It's going to kind of kill desire anyway. (laughs) If it's any sort of obligation at all, you know, we just had a conversation yesterday about scheduling sex and there are a lot of couples who say they do this. Oh, we just do it every Mm -hmm. Friday night or something like that. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, but at some point I'm not feeling like it on Friday. Mm -hmm. I'm just, Mm -hmm. it's just not happening. Mm -hmm. And now I feel bad because I've just ruined our whole Mm -hmm. date night. Right. And this is, I think, why scheduling can be such a problem for so many people. Scheduling is something that really works for us, but something that I've always approached it with is that I'm not scheduling an orgasm. Right. I'm not scheduling penetrative sex. Yes. I'm scheduling time to connect. And if those other things happen, cool. But if they don't, cool. (laughs) Yes, I like to schedule time together, but don't specify mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what you're doing during yeah. that time. Yeah. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. well, a lot of men and within Christianity, this was sort of understood for me. My understanding of sex was that it didn't count if he didn't finish, whether mm-hmm. I did or not. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is why uh, something that Rachel and I have been talking about is like the redefinition of sexual connection. And it's like mm-hmm. that connecting with your partner in a romantic way or a sexual way needs to look like this and like this. And again, a lot of times repercussions if it doesn't. And it's just so harmful. Like, yeah, you can schedule connection and could just connect like that. That's the purpose of sex is, is connection. And to put this like intercourse, like layer that it must look like this and be like this or else it's wrong. It's just, 
yeah, who wants to sign up for that? Because you just don't know how what your body's going to want. You don't know how your body's going to feel. How about just connect and then enjoy that and see what happens. <laughs> Either way, yeah. and it's all fine. It's all good. It's all connection. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nat, this has been such a pleasure, and I would love to close our time together by hearing about where you are now okay? and just what's going on in your relationship life. Well, I didn't have any relationships with men for two years. Mm-hmm. The first year, I was in the process of divorce, and it wasn't final for a full year, a little over mm-hmm. a year, and I just wasn't ready. I was in real deep therapy. I was doing somatic work, too, to just being comfortable being touched again at, at all yeah. by anyone. And so it took a long time to just feel like it was going to be okay to even sit down and have dinner with a man now. But mm. I did finally last fall and summer and fall and I met one person was it wasn't great. We didn't really click and that fizzled out and then this guy two days before Christmas popped up and was a great conversationalist, really healthy communicator. Mm. And I just felt really safe with him. That's the only way that I can describe mm. this feeling with him. It's, there's definitely some romance there, and it's definite sexual chemistry. But <laughs> in general, overall, I just feel like he's a friend. And that's really what I needed all those years was mm. someone who's a friend. And I say spicy friend. That's how we talk about it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> But friend first and the spicy is very spicy because we're good friends and Mm -hmm. care about each other. And that is a completely opposite dynamic than I had before. And so I can't imagine ever declining sex with him. In fact, I would be pretty bummed if he declined me. (laughs) But, you know, both of us are pretty healthy in the way that we approach all of this. And that just makes it so much more fun. Mm -hmm. But you referred earlier to the video on flinching. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the first part, I talked about how I flinched with my husband. And the second part is now this opposite reaction that my body is having with this new safe man. Uh, Mm -hmm. There in the similar moments when my when I would flinch in the past, my body does more of a snaky kind of writhing. uh, I call it a shiver. And this Mm -hmm. is a very positive feeling. It's electric. I can't control it in the same way I couldn't control the flinching. And I end up just giggling (laughs) because, (laughs) oh my God, I'm doing it again. And it it sort of just for a split second, it puts a stop to everything that is happening. And he just smiles and we carry on. But Mm -hmm. it's a really good feeling. And I have Mm -hmm. talked to a few other people about this who have experience with this. And it seems pretty clear that my body is doing sort of a reset Mm -hmm. and getting back to where it should have been before all of that trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. I love it so much. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that rewiring is so powerful. Yes. And it shows such a hope that when you experience what you said, safety, mm-hmm. friendship, and this spiciness that comes because of those things, not before them, mm-hmm. but because of them, then your body has this chance to rewire, reset, reorient toward your sexual self and the idea of being a sexual self with another human. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying and doing all kinds of things with this guy that I would not be able, it would make my ex blush. (laughs) (laughs) 
because you feel safe. This is it. This is what we keep telling, you know, everyone's yes. saying that. And, and it is, it's like, there's so much more possibility and yeah, like hope and excitement when you can just feel safe to do what you're desiring, what you want, whatever, just be you, you know, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> Okay, one final question, Nat, even though I know we could talk for hours yep. <laughs> about this. If you could go back to, let's see, what stage of Nat do I want to think about here? <laughs> Which stage? Mm-hmm. Um, how about brand new early married Nat? Mm-hmm. What would you say to her about what you know now oh, about gosh. yourself and about sex? I don't want to ruin it because everything has to play out the way it did in order for Mm. me to be here Mm. right now. Mm. And I don't know what kind of life I would have or who I would be if everything did not happen. So I don't want, I would not want to mess it up. Mm. I want to leave it just as I'm not going to tell her to run. I'm not going to tell her to do anything differently, honestly. Mm. Wow. I think I would just tell her to hang in there. Mm. It's going to be bad. Mm. And just know that it will end. Mm. (laughs) My gosh. (laughs) Wow. What a way to affirm what you have gone through and speak to the power in your story. That was an extraordinarily real and profound (laughs) way to wrap up this episode because it's true. Our journeys teach us. And unfortunately, you know, we have to go through so much in our lives, but it doesn't mean there's not like so much beauty to be found in the journey once we're healing from it. And I just see there like so much and getting to experience yeah. so much like beauty and joy in your life now because of what you went through. And that's, I think, really honoring just you as a person and who you are. And it's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nat, for sharing your story. Thank you for giving me a voice. This is really great to have other people hear this. Absolutely. Always, always. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story inspired you to take the next step in your own relationship, we invite you to take our free Key to Closeness quiz. Go to nottonight.org slash quiz to get started today. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 